Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and kindness, for our fellowship with you and one another. Thank you for showing us mercy. Thank you for those who go forth and preach the gospel. And Lord, may we understand your word, believe your word, and help one another as we seek to grow in grace and sanctification and our hope that we know is eternal. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, welcome. Now let me go forward. We covered this. If you remember, if you were here, the the money that they seemingly wasted, they spent, they got rid of their magic books. <clears throat> Do you know why they needed magic books when they were pagans? Jessica and I were just talking about that on a podcast. Um, Jessica, do you want to... I don't want to put you on the spot, but what were we talking about? Well, there's there's techniques. Everything's a technique rather than a relationship. Well, that's what we were talking about is methodology. You've got problems, and is there a certain method that you have to go through to solve these problems, especially if you think they're in the spirit world? Or is it being in right relationship with God? And if you don't have that right relationship with God, what you have is techniques for manipulating the spirit world. That's what we're doing on our um, podcast, YouTube videos. We're going through the book. Oh, am I not on? Okay. We're going through um, Dutch Sheets' book on intercessory prayer. And there's hardly a thing that he doesn't get wrong. Basically, everything is wrong. We just did four episodes on one sentence in the book. Yeah. Now, the long and the short of it, the relationship means very little, if anything. The techniques, methodology, secrets, how to do it, which I would call techniques, is everything. And so, therefore, not knowing the techniques you're not going to get your prayers answered, although he's very positive, so he doesn't ever address the negative side of it. And so he gives examples from his own life, how he got a revelation from God, where he went, and telling God what to do, and where, and because the intercessor has to go into the throne room and tell God what to do. Well, it doesn't seem like it to his readers, but this is very similar to what the pagans do. The ability to get into the world of the spirits and know certain things is the key or the secret to gaining the outcome that you're looking for. And so to make that simple, what we were saying when we recorded is that this is not about what we have in a relationship with God is a relationship where he loves us, he cares for us, and as we saw in Romans 8, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, the Son intercedes for us, and he doesn't need us to manipulate the world of the spirits, even in some Christianized version, in order to get our desired outcome. Because he loves us as Father, And the intercession is God interceding for us and us, according to Hebrews 4, 16, bringing our needs to God. So the simple version is the issue for Christians is a relationship with God, not techniques or technology or means of knowing how to break spells or curses or whatever it is. That's what they were getting rid of. And the amount of money that they... Uh, quote, lost. They gained everything, eternal life, and so on, uh, is worth the annual wage of 137 workers. Go ahead again, Jessica. 
It's got a switch. So the irony then is in Acts, they were burning all of those materials, and now books on spiritual warfare or movies like The War Room or you know, Dutch Sheets with 600,000 copies of his book, now Christians are spending all of their money to buy the very things that they were burning in the book of Acts. But they think it's different. Right. They think it's different because it says it's Christian. Right. But Christian isn't another version of secrets. It's a relationship. All right. Yes, go ahead, Barb. Well, it's also in um, politics. There's a, a pastor, quote-unquote, his name is Dale Witherington, and um, in, at least in Wright County, because he lives in Wright County, they have um, a group called Restore Minnesota, and we went to one of the meetings, and um, he and I also looked at his social media because I, I have a MeWe um, that I use more for news, and he had posted a Dutch Sheets video, and posted music by Bethel Church. And then at the Restore... Bethel, by the way, Bethel Church is New Apostolic Reformation. Yes. Bill Johnson, I wrote an article about that. He had wrote a book called When Heaven Invades Earth. Yes. And in the book, he blasphemes Christ, yeah. by what Sheets does as well, mm-hmm. by claiming he lost his deity when he went into hell to fight with Satan. And we address that in our podcast. Yeah. Go ahead. So... so um, he, he claims to be a Republican. But actually at this, this meeting, um, he brought up the fact that he, th- wants, he basically said he wanted to bring heaven to earth yeah. um, via politics. And um, he uh, believes we're in the tribulation period. And his wife, um, he featured his wife at the end of this meeting um, who claimed she spoke directly to God the Father sitting right in front of her. And I'm thinking, why didn't you burn up? You know, so. Um, but anyway, so. But then they chased us out so soon after that that we didn't get a chance to actually talk to them personally. Yeah. So, um, so this restore Minnesota is supposed to be all over the state. So it's it's seeping into everything, including and, and politics, and also he's like a chaplain for um, the Republican Party or something in in the Congress, um, Minnesota Congress. Um, let me address that. Most, um, not all, but the New Apostolic Reformation, not totally, but mostly, are post-millennial, meaning that we're going to bring the rule of God through activism. And this was around in the 70s as well. The prayer walks where they go around and claim territory for God. Do you see what's wrong with that? Because God already owns all territory. And so the Vatican is not territory for God as compared to something else. In fact, you could almost say the opposite. But it's actually, let me show you how it's relational. And I'll take another question. How do you get out of the kingdom of darkness? Let's just look at it that way. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Okay? Now, how do you get out of that? By repentance and faith. Acts 26, 18. And once you're out and you have access to the throne of grace, that's what happened with these people. I want to stay on topic two. Look at this. Why did they get rid of all this stuff? Because they don't need it. They didn't ask the apostles to give them a Christian version of curse breaking. Are you hearing me? They did not say, well, now how do we break these curses? Because we gave away the, what we needed to do so. Which would be the names, the locations, the techniques, and so on, that were available in their world because we brought this up in our podcast Ephesians 1 3 says that in Christ all who are in Christ are blessed that's true and even the rebellious Balaam figured that out because though Israel wasn't as a nation the same status but at that point 
They are chosen by God, obviously still will be restored in the future. We're premillennial. And Balaam tried to curse them, but it wouldn't work. Why? They're blessed and I can't reverse it. Do you think that somebody can reverse the blessing on your life if they know the secret? But in the book that we were talking about, they, Dutch Sheesh claims he figured out why someone was cursed through interrogating, and then they knew how to go back and reverse it. That's Christianized magic. Go ahead. I was going to uh, just add to what Barb said that, you know, Dale Witherington is going around Minnesota starting these groups, and I've had people come and say, oh, you should go and join this group. And I say, well, I have a real problem with this theology. And it's not hard for me to imagine that if, if any political group, I don't care who it is, if they say we're going to try to do all of these wonderful things and it's going to be, and we're, and we're going to use this new apostolic reformation type deal, we're going to call down, you know, curses or we're going to, you know, we're going to be, have a special anointing. It's not hard for me to imagine that that will utterly fail. I would think God would oppose that. I can tell you that it did in the 70s. Ron over here. Well, I guess uh, I may not need to make a longer PowerPoint for next week, but uh, (laughs) I want to make sure we actually allow you. If you don't agree, that's okay. We want to learn together as we search the scriptures. My claim is there's not a Christianized version of the magic Books, but there are lots of them out there. I should say that are valid. Okay, we don't get secret information from the world of the spirits, and therefore think it's from God, and now have the secret for well-being. That's the point. Now, how how can I say that? It's relational, not technological. Ron, uh, you're next. To add to that, one more thing, to broaden it out, uh, a lot of these groups will talk about the seven mountains of influence, the seven mountain mandate. Oh, the se- I've heard that, yes. Yeah. So, and what they are is, uh, oh boy, open up phone, uh, family, religion, business, politics, education, media, arts. The so seven mountains? It's a seven mountains of influence, a seven mountain mandate. So if we, I've can, heard that. if we can get involved in all of these things, we can bring heaven to earth, essentially. Um, that's a little more complex. Rick Warren only had three legs on his stool. Um, yeah, business, government, and church. But the bigger question, okay, the bigger question, I was in that. I'm not making bad comment or negative comments about something I don't know nothing about. I was in a Christian community where all of us sold everything we had which for Diane and I was nothing. (laughs) But the people that had something really lost a lot. And that was how you got out of Babylon because Babylon was everywhere. So I was a little different, but at the time there were prayer marches, uh, the breaking of curses and so on. Thank you. And I'm going to get to the text here in a second. Go ahead. And I'll be real quick. I, I see a lot of irony here in the sense that Jesus said, follow me for my yoke is easy. So if you repent and believe in Christ and have faith, that's a lot easier than going through all of this. But for man, man likes to see things. He likes to physically touch things. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon somebody and they go from darkness to light, you can't see that. You can't touch that. So man always wants the fluff. They always want something more. And uh, that's the irony. If they yeah. would just know, it's, it's a lot easier path. Well, faith, faith in the promises of God is not the same as um, gaining secret information about why things are going bad and then breaking a curse. Go ahead, Jessica, one more. We got a 
I'll go to the next slide. Which we covered. He's determined to get through this. I think the other part of just human nature is we want something to do. Give me some steps that will fix my problem. What we don't want is like Paul with his thorn in the flesh. You know, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. No, we we want give me the steps to fix this problem, and even and and that's a snare even for Christians. And that's why we sell so many. They sell so many of these books, and you know, five steps or seven promises or whatever it is. We want something to do. And I think that's a tie to post-millennialism, though, too, even whether it's the new apostolic reformation version or kind of the reformed theonomy post-millennialism. Yeah. It's for, for whatever reason, we feel like we have to do something, and it leads to error on both sides. Yeah, what we have to do, what, did they, what, was, what must we do to do the works of God? Believe in the one whom he sent. The answer is believing, not a technology. In the 80s, that was a big deal, technology. Uh, Technology is really great, but technology should be neutral, but it can be used for anything. You can have a YouTube video promoting witchcraft or air, or you can have a YouTube video with the gospel it's just a media for getting something out. We're responsible for what goes out. And if we teach the word of God clearly, forthrightly, with due diligence and study, and together search the scriptures like the Brians, if what we say is right, it won't harm someone, it will help them. But it may cause people to become angry. Now, any evangelist knows that happens. Um, and so the question is, I don't really care how do you feel and what do you think, but is it true and has God said it? And if I believe it, will God do what he said, which is forgive sins? We've got to look at that. Now, let's look at verse 20 here, which we were on. I'm going to get... At least through the slides we already did. So the word of God was growing mightily and prevailing. So I looked those up doing searches of the Greek words for uh, growing and prevailing. Um, and, the, and I made some points here. Those who believe the gospel do not need secret information about the world of the spirits. We do not need that. That's the very definition of occult. And even well-meaning people who know Christ get deceived on this very easily because there'll be a phrase, there'll be a phrase like word of knowledge. Paul's point is that people have different gifts. The word of knowledge doesn't tell us much about what sort of knowledge whether it's an objective or subjective genitive, whether it's, uh, it doesn't say, it's just you need one another. It could very well be that teaching the truth about this issue is knowledge from God and is spoken with a word. The whole point isn't somebody's cursed because they know this happened because they're under an ancestral curse and you have so many ancestors you never knew, it's impossible to know which ancestor did which occult thing that makes you curse now. Do you understand that? And the Bible says the curse causeless will not come to pass. So why Balaam couldn't curse Israel. Now, Balaam wasn't a true prophet because later people went the way of Balaam. What happens later? He's mentioned in the New Testament. Okay, so I want to get this money to curse Israel, even his donkey rebuked him. And uh, so he starts beating on the donkey. <laughs> he talks back. <laughs> if your donkey talks, you usually don't say, well, you miserable donkey. No. He figured out later, and he comes up later, how did he get Israel cursed? Yeah. He said, don't, I can't directly curse them, but just offer the Moabite women, the, give them 
what will seduce them away from Christ, or from, excuse me, from Yahweh, although in, in some contexts Christ is Yahweh and he's theophany, and that worked. So the apostates mentioned in the New Testament went the way of Balaam. So what will get Christians away from fidelity to the relationship with God? Giving them what everybody wants and seducing them away because that worked for Balaam. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you're trusting him, I assure you, based on the authority of Scripture, and there are many, but just look at Ephesians 1.3, you are blessed. And the fact that you're blessed is not grounded in looking at symptoms. Symptoms are caused by many different things. Mainly, we live in a fallen world. Um, That's where we were going astray. Uh, When I was younger, it seemed like, who needs sleep? Who needs, I I can do this, I can do that. But that's not true for every young person. Some young people are in wheelchairs or harmed in some way or another. The fact is, this life is very short. The false teachers are offering an elixir that doesn't exist. Right? Is somebody selling pills that reverse aging? They do. But do you think that you'll live to be 200 if you take enough of those pills? No, it won't work. Now, what needs to grow and prevail? The word of the Lord. Now, I asked Brian to look up. Do you still have your finger in there? Another place just before this in Acts, well, seven chapters earlier, the same terminology is there. And that, uh, you can tell, tell us which verse. I think it's Acts 12. Yeah, uh, 24. But the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. Yeah, growing and prevailing. The word of God growing and prevailing is a repeat of what was said in Acts 12. And this is thematic. And what does that signify? The Great Commission in Luke Acts is that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name, certain Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. We saw in Acts 23.11 that Jesus appeared again to Paul and say that he would be going and bearing witness to Rome. I think those are red letters, are they? You don't have to have red letters in your Bible, by the way. But sometimes it helps. Go ahead. Do I have the right verse? Yeah, 2311. But on the night immediately following, the Lord stood at his side and said, Take courage, for as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also. Yeah. Keep that in mind when we get to, uh, as we go through the next part of Acts, because some people say Paul shouldn't have gone to Jerusalem based on what Agabus had done. That's not the Lord's intent. The reason he went to Jerusalem was that it demonstrated what was the theme already in Luke. Jerusalem rejects the prophets that are sent. Luke 9.51 all the way to Jesus' entry is a theme of going to be rejected. So Paul's uh, the messengers that Jesus sent, the apostles, they're rejected too. But the point was to bring it all the way to Rome. That does not mean that God's done with Israel. It doesn't mean anti-Semitism because everyone rejects Messiah and God will still, uh, still has future plans for Israel. So that's what we teach. So Luke uses terms for power, increase, and strengthening to describe the impact of the gospel. So once you are blessed, once you're transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, you have a relationship, a saving relationship with the triune God of the Bible. 
And in that relationship, it's no longer necessary to have this material. And interestingly, be careful when you're seeing trends in the church. The church generally, the institutional church, I mean, will be fighting a battle from 100 years ago. Okay, so what happened was the rationalists said there's no spirits, this is just myth. I grew up hearing that from people, uh, pastors who had been trained about the early 20th century, like World War I era. They said there's no miracles. These are stories to make us inspired to be good people, and there's no hell, and they were unconcerned about any of this. Well, so then... Along comes C. Peter Wagner, the New Apostolic Reformation, said, well, the problem is we have an excluded middle. What's the excluded middle? We're not interacting with spirits and angels like they were in the Bible. So we're going to bring the middle back. Well, I don't believe there is a middle, but that God in his mercy, it's not good. You don't want to see these demons and spirits as you look around. They're there, but it's not our business. The only way, they're deceivers. They've been in their realm for thousands of years. The serpent was already in that situation when he came to Eve. Listen, God will keep us. If we don't believe that God can keep us, and we'd rather look at symptoms rather than relationship, and we'd rather have a methodology than access to the throne of grace and confidence that he loves us and confidence that all of those called will be glorified. Luann, if you could bring the mic to her. Then the techniques will let us down every time because we're still in a fallen world. So that's why the called are are glorified according to that passage that I preached on a few weeks ago. That's for our comfort and hope. Do you think that um, secret information about the world of the spirits will give you more hope than the promise of God? What kind of hope would it be that if I come to Christ and he says, come to me, those who come, he'll never cast out. He had the throne of grace, find timely help, is a relational thing, not a knowledge thing. But the false teachers get a revelation about what to, to tell God to do. They invite themselves to the council meeting, and they're not really on the council. Go ahead, Luann. And I think I'm just trying to, um, you know, put this into a today's circumstance, exactly what you're saying. But when I look at your third point there, and it says that God saves and changes sinners, and this is more for people listening than people in this room, because if I'm someone in Sri Lanka right now, and I'm suffering horribly because of the circumstances going around, and I'm presented with the gospel, and I, I believe it, and I trust it, and I'm transformed... Then I look at this and I think, okay, what does a changed sinner look like? Because my circumstances don't change when I'm living in Sri Lanka. But what has changed is my motivation and my mindset. I, I, the guilt is gone because Christ took it for my past sin. And my idea of my living circumstances changes from the temporal to the eternal. Amen. And these are the things that have to happen. It isn't that God is going to, in his power, suddenly take me as a Sri Lankan and I'm a Christian and I'm going to have fuel for my food. It might happen, but you know that's not the promises that we're hoping for. And so it's not the material blessing today. It's the spiritual future. And it's a relationship. By the way, um, I hope I don't, I can't wear out the Bible. Right? But Luke Acts is so unbelievably powerful and it convinced, it should convince anybody of the inspiration of Scripture. What Luke has done here but under the authority of the Holy Spirit-inspired Scripture writer. He, uh, well, the other thing that happens in Luke-Acts is that those who have a relationship with God or come into faith, 
go away rejoicing. Even when there's persecution against the true gospel preachers, they rejoice that they were considered worthy to suffer shame for the name. Now, I'm telling you that from my mind right here. I think it's in there. I know I preached on it, but I can't tell you what verse it is. And so to rejoice that you know Christ is not something that can be taken away by Satan, curses, demons, governments, people that hate us. It can't be taken away. It can't because it's eternal. That doesn't mean that we're like, now I'm dating myself, in the 60s, Spock on Star Trek had no emotions. <laughs> we're going to self-destruct in 1.5 seconds. <laughs> no, there's no person like that, really. All we had was black and white TV, so we used to think, people would tell us, Spock is green. We didn't know it was just black and white. But it turned out, that's just from the past. The point is, that's not us. We feel pain. We weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. We care for one another. But no one can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ. Neither things present or things future. That whole list at the end of Romans 8. And the thing that has shocked me over the last, since 1983, when out of desperation I could think of nothing else to do in ministry than teach verse by verse through the Bible, doing that has cost me more Christian friends than just about anything I've done. Why? Because we're used to skipping the verses we don't like. And one person that was very irate with me, I just said, listen, it was my duty to preach this verse. If it was yours, what would you preach? What would you call this? I don't know. If, we, if God offers us comfort and hope, we, he hears our prayers, he cares for us, we love one another. And I don't see anybody who's redeemed at the end of Revelation, as you see the rejoicing, all of the angels, and there's all this rejoicing. Is anybody saying, well, I didn't think you did it right. <laughs> so if I didn't hope that the true, just, holy God who saved me is doing, running his universe properly, I would probably just, I don't know. I don't know how I'd even be here. I couldn't function if I didn't have the promises of God. I'm supposed to be dead, as you probably know, um, because of not supposed to be, but I've been, my, my wife's been told out how many times I'd be dead by the next day. So that doesn't make me holy. It just makes me ha- a recipient of mercy. And I'm convinced that I need to keep teaching verse by verse through the Bible so we can understand this. Now, if you think back through Luke Acts, just think about it. What is causing us to believe this way? What have we read? What about Luke 13? Because remember Katrina, we were trying to think of that. Uh, Katrina was a hurricane that hit, was it New Orleans? Right? Right. So I'm waiting to be on the radio, the program before me is going, and there was a guy saying, I'm a, I, th- I feel like a prophet like Jeremiah. I, I told you this is going to happen. America is so wicked, God sent Katrina and wiped out. Well, see, New Orleans seems very sinful, which undoubtedly it is. But is it more sinful than Miami or New York City or Minneapolis? Or, I mean, sin is a... But the point, and so, oh, yeah, look at that. Finally, God got those sinners. But the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And so when I came on the radio, the next show had to point out Luke 13. Do you think that those whose blood was mingled with, uh, that uh, who was it, Herod, someone mingled blood with sacrifices, or worse sinners than everybody else? What was the message? What did they say? What did Jesus say? No, I tell you, unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish. 
Did Jesus mean that everyone who doesn't repent will be martyred by Herod and have their blood mixed with sacrifice? No. The perishing he's talking about is eternal. And then he says, do you think those upon whom, what happened? Was it an earthquake? Go ahead, the second one. Jesus said to them, do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will will likewise perish. What's the next one? Or do you suppose that these 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And so everyone's a sinner, the two types of sinners are those whose sins are forgiven and are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and are being sanctified and will be glorified and those who think that it's just fine they're, they're better than somebody else. I used to think that way. Now, let me see. Here's, here's a call I got. Uh, I've gotten a lot of different calls over the years. Here's what someone said. They're trying to, there's a bad thing happening, really bad. This storm's coming through, blowing things over. And I know someone who spoke in tongues, and the storm didn't hit them. Well, let me explain the, the fallacy of that. I've heard similar stories. There's more than one possible cause for the same observed phenomena. Now, the only one that can tell someone why the storm didn't hit them is who wasn't hit, right? So there's no way to know that someone speaking in tongues didn't get hit by the storm because they're dead. They can't tell their story. And we don't know that Christians are less likely to be hit by a storm than pagans. So if the storm knocks down a pagan temple, great. But if the storm knocks down an evangelical church, oh, this is a horrible tragedy. Um, There's enough sinners. Sinners are everywhere. Now, here's what we're learning. God rules now through providence, not through technology. Providence covers all things. That's the point of Luke 13. Now, what we're wanting to do, here's the point. The, the word of the Lord growing mightily and prevailing is gospel preaching, redemption, forgiveness of sins, and the great commissions being fulfilled because it is going from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Remember, they didn't, the Samaritans were considered horrible and unclean. God saved them, ultimately to Rome. That's the theme. Now, on the way back through, Paul goes to Jerusalem and is rejected. But he ended up in Rome. So in Luke Acts, God saves and changes sinners by his power, not religious techniques. 21, verse 21, Acts 19, 21. Now, after these things were finished, Paul purposed in the spirit to go to Jerusalem. Look at that. After he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. Now we saw in Acts 23, 11, this isn't a foolhardy thing. This is a fulfillment of what was told to the apostles. Paul wasn't there at the time. He was converted in Acts 9 later that they that they would go all the way to the end of the earth and that would be Rome in their world because Rome was the hub of civilization at that point. Eventually North Africa. Paul hoped to go to Spain. We don't know if he got there, but the gospel did go forth. Now, why did he purpose to go to Jerusalem? That was, now here it has the spirit capitalized and um, This was God's intent. I must also see Rome. The terminology suggests divine purpose. In Luke Acts, both written by Luke, they is a term for divine purpose. 
It's a divine necessity most of the time. So let, turn with me to Luke 9, 30 and 31 in your Bible. If you, uh, it, I, I would never tire of seeing the brilliance of God's word and how it's revealed in books like Luke Acts or the book of Hebrews. It's unbelievable material, how great it is. This is a preview, okay? This is the transfiguration, Luke 9, 30 through 31. Remember, some of you standing here will not taste death until you see the Son of Man coming in his glory. That's a preview that happens in transfiguration. It's uh, referenced. Luke 9, 30, 31. And behold, two men were talking with him, Jesus, who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory. So there's the glory. Doxa, that's a term that often happens in the Bible. And we're speaking about his... Now, the word departure that I have in the New American Standard literally is exodus. Okay? In the Greek, it's exodus. His exodus, which he was about to fulfill. Now, the word fulfill could also be... I have here the LEB, I guess I'm using, or accomplish. So what is happening is an... uh, Review of the Exodus. Do you have, if you have any comments on this, Eric? I know you've preached. Can I just say my translation says decease, decease. They were talking about his decease. What is? Decease, decease, meaning death. In in Jerusalem. Well, let me read it. Oh. Who, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease. No, it's which... Exodus. Yeah. Okay, so you should tell me what the other translation says. The, of which is, he was about to do what? Accomplish? Fulfill? So in that case, it would be his death and ascension, which is true. Eric, have you commented on that. I think you have. You know, I'm, I think you're exactly right. His purpose is to go to Jerusalem on this new exodus with this new people. He meets the people on the mountain. The exodus motif runs all the way through the Gospels, and I think you've done a good job at El- really showing that through the book of Luke. It's interesting, even in the 70th week of Daniel, there's a final exodus. You have a Moses and Elijah-like figure. He meets his people out in the wilderness the final time as they're being per- protected from the Antichrist. And then that final exodus, they come to faith. Just as Paul had foretold in Romans eleven twenty six, all Israel will be saved. And so this is, though, the preliminary exodus in which he's going to Jerusalem in order to be a sacrifice so that we can have this atonement, we can have this relationship, right. as you've rightly laid out. So I think that's a good reading. Yeah, and it's looking forward to the ascension. That comes up later, too. So this... It's interesting how people get this wrong. This morning I was looking for the weather, and I found, has anybody heard of a teacher called Flurry? F-L-U-R-R-Y? He had it all wrong. And uh, in this regard, I wonder why, uh, never mind, TV preachers have issues, but... um, the best thing you can do is read the text for what it says. So he's fulfilling God's purpose. Now, Paul must go and be rejected as well, but this isn't the end because in Acts 1, over here for the mic, um, in Acts 1, we have the disciples asking, now are you... No, over the... Well, both. Either one. Go ahead. Yeah, is this on? Yeah. Okay. Um, <clears throat> you, uh, you'd uh, mentioned about purposed in the spirit, and it's in your, it says the terminology suggests. Um, what did What did you mean by suggests? I I had I looked up the meaning of suggests. It says to mention or to imply as a possibility. 
Um, I don't have the Greek in front of me. Purpose into spirit. Does anybody have a Greek in front of them? <laughs> I have it. I'm not. Some would say his spirit or the Holy Spirit. So everything's capital in the original. And so I would assume. Does anybody's translation have spirit with a small s? All right. I'm not, I know that that's what he is to do and does do because he's walking in the footsteps of Jesus. Go ahead. Uh, John MacArthur says that it's probably his false. He thinks a small s. Yeah. Sometimes it's not totally clear. And so the context helps us. And sometimes the word spirit, pneuma, could be either. Other, the context would tell us. Go um, ahead, Eric. I was going to just mention, um, I don't have the Greek in front of me, but the dative there might indicate the Holy Spirit as well, because in the spirit means in the sphere of the Holy Spirit. And as Bob has pointed out, the must, the day, normally has to do with divine necessity. Bob has already shown us through Luke Acts when the Holy Spirit comes upon someone, it shows that this is a reliable word. And so I think you're right. I think a better reading is that it is the Holy Spirit. It's a dative of sphere, meaning this was accomplished by the Spirit, in the power of the Spirit, and therefore it's this divine necessity that he must go to Rome. And we know as we get to the end of Acts that, in fact, that's exactly what happens. He accomplishes all of those things that God had set forth. So yeah. I think it's in keeping so with So there's your, an interpretation the context, what I mean by that, it helps us understand. Now, why would that be important? So I'm, I'm gonna have, we've still got time. I'm going to get to you, Laverne. Go yes, ahead. My comment had to do with the Mount of... Can you hear me? Yes. Oh, my comment had to do with the Mount... Has to do with the Mount of Transfiguration. Okay. And where the three were discussing Christ's desist, that, that he was going to die. That was the future. But it's kind of... Um, it's augmented by Peter's comment, the fact that, he, that they were discussing his death, because Peter wants to build three monuments. And right. that is a way of circumventing Christ having to go to the cross and go through that humiliation right. and pain. And so because in the millennial kingdom, the Feast of Tabernacle is reestablished. And so that kind of... Um, just gives credence to what Peter's trying to say. Let's just do this now because he was glorified and he saw that. He saw his glorified body. Yeah, Peter wanted to make three tabernacles in the, at that point, that time. And frankly, um, the way it's shown in Luke, Peter was misguided at that point. Yeah, and that's when God interrupted and said, no, hear my son. Yeah, um, right. This is my son. Listen to him, which, by the way, pointed out he is the prophet predicted in Deuteronomy 18. That would be Jesus. Okay, this is my son. Listen to him. Listen means believe. He speaks for me. And so on the issue of the spirit or his spirit, it could be either. But we do know from what else happens, it is God's intent that he'd go. When some tried to get him to desist, Agabus said, this is what will happen if you do go. And Paul later says, was that before or after this? I've been going so slowly through this. Somebody can find it out. I think it's after. Uh, Paul goes on, goes through Asia, or goes through Macedonia, and comes back and ends up in another city, Miletus, I think calls for the elders. But whatever the case, what um, Agabus was saying is that this will happen if you do go. They begged him not to go. And then Paul said, why are you doing breaking my heart? So he saw that as a necessity to go, even though he would suffer when he got there. I think that's how I read it. Go ahead, Jessica. It's later. It's in Acts 20. It's later. Acts 20. I thought so. So Agabus wasn't a false prophet. He was telling what would happen. They assumed that meant don't go. But Paul said, why are you crying about this? I must go. Now, I want to make sure we learn. Thank you for your comments. See, the whole point is to learn together and read it. And um, if someone would say in his spirit, 
the, the bigger picture is that he must go. It's going to happen, whether it was Paul's spirit or the Holy Spirit. Jerusalem, okay, Luke 13, 31 to 35. Jerusalem rejects prophets, but there is future hope. Acts 1, 6, and 7. I've talked about that a lot. In fact, uh, someone look up Luke 13. Oh, I have it here. Let me read it. At the same hour, some Pharisees came up and said to him, Go out and depart from here because Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go tell that fox. Behold, by the way, a fox wasn't a nice thing back then. (laughs) Behold, I'm expelling demons and performing healings today, tomorrow, and on the third day I will complete my work. Nevertheless, it is necessary for me to be on the way today, tomorrow, and the next day because it is not possible for a prophet to perish outside Jerusalem. Not that none ever did, but God's purpose is Jerusalem will be held accountable. Now, that is not suggesting that the church replaces Israel. The next thing that happens, frankly, is going to be even worse when Antichrist gives them what they want, but God will use that to lead to the millennial kingdom. Does that make sense? Okay, so let's go on here. Then he has this lament, Luke 13, 34, 35. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how many times I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her own brood under her wings, and you are not willing. Behold, your house has been left to you, and I I tell you, you'll never see me until, you'll never see me until the time will come when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, I was from the Lexham English Bible, Eric and I have talked about this. When will be that time when they receive him? Go ahead and answer if you... Yeah, they'll finally receive him in the 70th week of Daniel. They come to faith and they finally at come... At the very end of the tribulation. At the very end, yeah. yes. And that sets so, us up for the moment. rejection, rejection, rejection. Then 135 was... Well, first 70 AD, which again, it's not the end of the promise. Acts 1, 6, and 7... But that's what is focused in Luke. But it's not forever. There's a future hope. And then during the church age, which we're in, there's one new man. That is Ephesians 2.15, which is redeemed Jews and Gentiles, right? And that goes on until the beginning of Daniel's 70th week, when a lot of bad things happen. And Antichrist will offer what they couldn't get on their terms. And it'll be horrid eventually. But in the end, they'll say, blessed he who comes in the name of I agree, Eric. That's a great proof text to combat uh, spiritualizing the millennial kingdom. Yeah, no, America's primary heresy is post-millennialism. And I think we can prove that. Post-millennialism is taught by people on almost every end of the theological spectrum. Not everybody. But those of us who don't teach it are poo-pooed as uh, dispensationalists. They use that as, which we are, but that's a pejorative term. Or whatever they want to call us. But as a matter of fact, the millennium is centered in Jerusalem, not America. Did you know that Washington, D.C. is not Jerusalem? We didn't, we didn't know. Well, yeah, we knew that. But some of the prophets don't know that, like Jonathan Kahn, 
although he says he doesn't believe that, but he writes as if it were true. Go ahead. You know, the very end of that uh, verse where he says, your house is left, left to you desolate, the term left there I think is a fami, if I remember right. It's the same term that's used also in the Matthew account where the temple is left abandoned. And that's important because do you remember in the Olivet Discourse, Jesus says there's two in the field, one will be taken and the other one will be left. Mm-hmm. Some people try to claim those who are left are the ones who are saved. And the ones taken are taken in judgment. But the term left is the same term, a fami. In other words, abandoned to judgment. It's the same term as the temple being abandoned to judgment. So that means the one who's taken has to be taken in salvation, just like Noah and his family were taken. Yes. The wrath came. Yes, just amen. like Lot and his family were yep. taken. Then the wrath came. So the one who is abandoned, a fami, is abandoned like the temple of Jerusalem unto wrath and judgment. So that's an important, I think, reading with that. Yes, and I also noticed one more thing. we got a couple of minutes that sort of wraps this up. Eric and I have taught compatibilism for a long time. So the question that always arises, at least in my lifetime of being... Uh, teaching verse by verse of the Bible, is if it's true that it's certain that this will happen, which we know because it's already prophesied, then why would it say this? How many times I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her own brood, but you were not willing. So that is given to us as proof that man has the final say. But then how can you prophesy that and then say there's a valid call? And it's, it's so, how would you say it? Every, we all want friends, right? I've lost a lot of them. But listen, if we just take what it says and believe it, it's liberating. Come unto me, all you are weary, weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. All who come... All the Father's given me will come. But those who come, I'll no way cast out. Both things are true. And if we can't figure it out, it's because it's revealed. But I can't know the mind of God or be his counselor. But I can be faithful to what it says. Those who say, we're the elect because we were born in a Dutch family, are just damaging this, making it impossible to understand. We don't even think that God even cares for us or exists until we're converted and we understand this. Both things are true. And he wept over the city. Let me close with this. In verse 41, and when he approached and saw the city, 41 through 44, he wept over it. Let me stop right there. 41, he wept over it. Here's what some would say. If God foreknows, even if it's just foreknowledge, Who's going to repent and who isn't? And if it's certain that Jerusalem rejects the prophets, why weep over something that's certain? That's what I've heard. Well, it says this. Do you think God delights in judgment? We don't teach uh, dual predestination as far as equal or uh, ultimacy. This is valid. This is real. He wept over it and saying, if you had known on this day, even you, the things that make for peace, what's peace? Shalom, irene in the Greek. What is that? It's a broad term, but it also includes salvation, hope, well-being. And it goes on. But now they are hidden, which is in the passive. It's a divine passive. God's purpose is to have this time between Daniel's 69th week and 70th week for the one new man that salvation will go to the ends of the earth. Is that right? Uh, They're hidden by God's purposes. And some are saved. It doesn't mean no one was saved in Jerusalem. Many were, but most not. For the days will come upon you and your enemies will put up an embankment against you and surround you and press you hard from all directions and they will raise you to the ground and your children within you will not leave a stone upon stone within you 
because you did not recognize the day of your visitation. There is as clear as you can see the doctrine of compatibilism, compassion, prayer, judgment, salvation, all being true to the glory of God, whether or not human philosophers like it. Preach it, believe it, be comforted, and we don't know who's going to respond with the same compassion we need to preach the gospel. Let's close with prayer. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and kindness. Help us to understand things that are revealed and to not seek things that we cannot know because they're not revealed. And pray for Eric as he preaches to us that you would give us ears to hear what your word says and for Eric to have uh, clarity in his presentation so that we can understand even more fully what we need to know. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.